Hello guys, welcome to another edition of the podcast. Very pleased to say I'm joined by Cheltenham Town centre-half. We've had a lot of former footballers, but we've got very much a current footballer, 23 years of age, nearly 24, aren't you, I think, next, yeah, next month. Yeah. Will Boyle, and uh, Will, great to, great to talk to you. You're a northern lad, enjoying it in the Cotswolds, are you? How, how's it going? Yeah, I'm loving it, yeah, as I just said to you there. I've been down now about two and a half years, coming up to three years, so in January... I'm loving it. I'm loving the place. Loving, loving the football club, and I'm enjoying it really. Hopefully, this season can we can improve on last season and the season before, which has been a gradual improvement actually since I've been here, mm. and just keep developing as a player and as a person really. Yeah, it's interesting. It's amazing when you came up to we we met uh, a week or so ago, the Cheltenham fans game against the uh, legends, the former players, and you were watching on there. And it's incredible. You're only 23 because you seem really level headed. Came up and we had a good good chat about everything it makes you feel old when you realize i've just turned 38 so it's incredible you think people are proper fully fledged adults who are 15 years younger than you but it's it's interesting you talk about the approach to to moving around because one thing that former players have said like john finnegan and uh, michael duff himself was about that difficulty to put down roots when you've got one two-year contracts and we were talking sort of before we started about players who who have to kind of try and keep a family somewhere the other end of the country might be up north yorkshire like yourself, but you seem to have committed to it. How important has it been for you to to live down here? We're speaking at a beautiful kind of roof rooftop uh, apartment with um, skylights here, in this right in the centre of of Cheltenham, really cool area. So, is it is it been important for you? You think to commit to the the area as well as which is easy when you haven't got kids and stuff, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think you're right there. I think it's the stage of your life and your career. I'm still quite young. I'm mm. still quite my career is still quite young as well, actually. Really. So I've got a, a girlfriend up north who's just graduated law degree at Sheffield University. Yeah. And she's got another year doing a master's or an LPC. She's going to work there. on your contracts, is she, when she's so, finished? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully yeah. she can do a better job than my agent. So. Um, but no, so at the minute I really haven't got too many ties. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a, bit of a free bird, I guess. I can sort of flit around the country as it is. But when you start to get start to get to the stage of your life where you're thinking about a family, having kids and stuff. I think I've seen it really with a few players and a few lads in our current squad as well, where you've got to set up roots and from there you've got to, they sort of become the main mainstay of your life, I guess. Yeah. And then you need to depend, your career sort of is dictated more by them, which is something that I've spoke about with, with like my girlfriend and stuff yeah. for the future. But yeah, at the minute, I'm just trying to make the most of it and I've loved coming out of Cheltenham, to be honest. I love living in here, so yeah. Yeah, good area. Lots of coffee shops around here and yeah, is, yeah. nice uh, Regency buildings and stuff. Um, what you, t- you, t- you mentioned a player because we were just talking about Jordan Foster, weren't we? The fact that he'd moved down and bought a house recently but then, then didn't get a new contract and went back up to, to Scotland. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because you never know when you make those life decisions. Ben Smith wrote a book called Journeyman where yeah, I think, I think that, yeah. bought a house in Weymouth yeah. and then never went never went yeah. to it yeah it's it's interesting like we just said like we've just touched on there um Fozzie obviously um moved down here for two years initially yeah and I know he loved the area and his family loved the area as well and then he's obviously committed to buying a house but then with the with football you never know where you are from six months to the next and then all of a sudden now he's back up north playing in Scotland again yeah so I think he's obviously a example really of bad luck really and how hard it can be to set up roots as a footballer yeah so, as yeah. a father as well Michael Duff was saying that he's trying to just get players with an hour radius which sort of makes sense doesn't it obviously it includes you at that time but you can see why Matt perhaps he'd do that later in people later in the career so he doesn't have to 
almost have the responsibility of, of making someone relocate and then maybe not offering them a new contract. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah, I think like like we've just mentioned again, um, older players generally, uh, you'll find, I've found anyway myself, that the the family orientated. Yeah. So, like you say about yourself, working working on Sky, you have to stay down a couple of yeah, nights Yeah, a couple London. of nights a week in West London, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of players do similar things to that. So I think if you can... But that then can lead to players shooting off after training and then that yeah. can lead to things like not the team camaraderie like sure. failing because of that. But I think if you can get... I spoke to a, a couple of lads we had from Exeter and Exeter's like obviously down south. So yeah, a couple of hours on them, which is straight on the M5, so it's an easy saying, commute. Yeah. They were saying most of the lads live in the area. So he said the like team camaraderie or they're built from that, like away from the training ground, spending evenings and afternoons together, having a coffee or whatever it is. Yeah. But he said that like the team camaraderie were great. So I think that helps as well when you're building a team, definitely. Yeah, is that an important part? Because people will say, oh, footballers only have a few hours to train every day but do you think it's important after training just to spend spend time together to get that chemistry and particularly when you've when you've had a summer where I know Cheltenham's not been that bad but some clubs have eight eight nine new players yeah I think so definitely I think the gaffer's quite big on that as well he's sort of introduced like a social manager sort of thing yeah so he likes socialising um, doesn't he Michael he does, he does yeah. yeah and to be honest I think it's very important and he's if if that's coming from above as well yeah that gives you license and to to sort of push it yourself and we've got a good group of lads really a core group of lads who who were really like social and just little things like the gaffers banned phones for example in the in the canteen okay whereas at time obviously yeah people these days are never off the phone well, it's, so, yeah, it's a social well, problem so. not a football problem really, exactly yeah. but like having lunch for example then you'd sit there and you're sat on the table you've got to talk if lads are sat there on the phone sometimes yeah. you could sit there and lads not have the lunch and not say a word to each other so that comes with like building relationships and stuff like that. So I think that's that's massive. Makes you care. Makes you care about people. What have you found working for a manager in Michael Duff who had this history of being in the top eight tiers of football, working his way up every level as a player? Obviously, in your your position mainly as well. I know he played fullback, but as a, a centre half, how inspiring has it been to to work with him and and use him? I guess as a role model. Yeah, massive. Like when he first come in, um, there were a lot made of it. Obviously played for Cheltenham and his his career what he had yeah was obviously outstanding really to play at every level I don't know if there's any other players or if there's I, many he, he says he's the only one because I yeah, said to him well, I think you're one of the few he said I'm, I think I'm the only one or yeah. someone's told him he's the only one <laughs> well I can't imagine there'll be many many others who have done that so it's something that like you say for me it's quite close to home really as well being a similar position yeah so it's he's definitely someone I sort of look up to it's a bit weird really when he's when he's <laughs> the manager saying that but yeah. from um from a personal point of view, he's definitely someone I aspire to sort of, well, he's a, the accomplishments, what he's had are definitely things that I'd aspire to do as well. So, Yeah, and it's, it sort of shows you that in a way dedication and hard work can still get rewarded because there's a lot of perception about the glitz and glamour of the, the Premier League and sometimes a perception that overseas players are more attractive to clubs. But the fact that he did that within the last decade or so is, is kind of, I guess, gives, gives people belief and hope as well to, to, that they can move up. Yeah, well, I think it's quite quite refreshing as well, really, that he's come the environment he's come from, Burnley, is at the top level. They're mm. a Premier League club, but there's still a lot of values in that club which are like instilled in the gaffer now, for example, and which he's he's instilling into me and the rest of the team. Yeah, that at the top level there's still people with humility and like who are still grounded. Yeah. So 
they've obviously managed to get to that level with them characteristics. Yeah. But then to keep hold of them, I think, is another another challenge because obviously when they was announced at Burnley players were obviously earning decent money. Yeah. Obviously not the top six money, but they're earning good money. Yeah. Premier League club. But they're still managing to like um hold close to them the characteristics and the like just hard work and being good just, good, yeah, good the, people he said try and be good yeah, people yeah yeah just i think to work that way at that level competing with other people who obviously you can it's quite obvious that don't work that way mm. i think it's quite it's testament to them really yeah it's interesting isn't it? you don't necessarily know it in one training session but cumulatively if you keep that dedication and focus then i suppose he's an example of of how far you can go in that in that sense yeah, definitely. And the club, like we were just talking about Burnley there, they've obviously overachieved yeah. year on year. And a massive amount of that is will be and is down to the like desire to improve the the nitty gritty side of it really, which is is overlooked really. well, I think at this level it's massive, but especially yeah. when you get higher it's easier to overlook it. But I think for them to compete and overachieve you like with a main reason being that is it's great, yeah. You've got that experience as well recently of a team overachieving. You began at Huddersfield Town and you've seen what's happened to, to them. What was your background, your upbringing like in football? Yeah, well, I can't take much credit or if any credit <laughs> for that, to be honest. I were, you masterminded it. Yeah, I were out on loan when um, they got promoted. Yeah. Well, I were down here when they actually got promoted out on loan for the first half of the season. But up I suppose it's an example of what a club can, yeah, can I think, do. Yeah, I think coming in, like the club got turned on its head. David Wagner did an unbelievable job. Um, I think the the attention to detail he had was second to none. Yeah. Just from he introduced in training, he introduced scoreboards where it was on a Friday, for example, it had a young V old and the score carried on for the whole six months of the season. Really. And then the losers had to pay for a whole team meal. <laughs> so the young team, for example, if they lost. The scores got to around sixty eight, seventy or something. But yeah, yeah. Just little things like that, and whereas like you get you get points for scoring goals in training and stuff, just to keep the competitive edge and element to training. It's interesting. And you can see the the difference in the training, and obviously it ended up in it accumulated and then being promoted to the Premier League. But that were another. He started training at three o'clock and stuff like that. So the. He turned oh, really? the club on its head, really, to be honest. Start, so he started training the first training session of the day, was it three, or was there a second training no, session? No, he used to... So the lads... It were long days, really. The lads were used to coming in like a norm, every other English football club. Yeah. But it was... I've forgotten the name for it, but it's some training... Like two parts, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a na- technical term for it. I forgot that, but... So the main session would start at three o'clock on the grass. Okay. So in the morning, you'd come in and you might do... A running session in the morning which lasted half an hour max yeah and a gym session before so it's more match realistic is it so it's based on the time you yeah be playing that's a what game. it is yeah. yeah yeah so it's like acclimatizing your body to it i know a lot of the germans german teams do it and stuff yeah. like that and i think it's coming more common in england now but um to get the lads buy-in from that were massive really yeah because i remember being sat in the change room and the older pros <laughs> i think sort of saying if there were a few few questions asked really as to because they were still getting in normal time nine o'clock yeah. On a Tuesday, for example, and doing a gym session at ten o'clock, having lunch till twelve, then you're not starting training till you do pre-ab at say yeah. two quarter past two. Wow. So it becomes the day it's all of a sudden turned from it's nine pretty, till one. Yeah. Three people with regular jobs are thinking, oh, it's just you know, it's just like five. real life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But when you're used to yeah. that way of life, yeah, it can be a shock to the system. 
But it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, as well, not to come in because there's that thing in sport, particularly I like to cover a lot of boxing, that people, you know, boxers, some boxers, like, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning and I'm doing these road runs. And, and then other people, like, remember David Hay took more of a relaxed approach. He valued his sleep. He said he wanted to train at certain times. Mm-hmm. Trained in the evening more closely, replicated to when he'd fight would be in the evening. I suppose there is that kind of like get up and go, let's psychology of getting up in the morning and training hard. But then actually, like you say, match day typically particularly in the in the lower divisions rather than the premier league which can be erratic yeah. erratic kickoffs so that actually it's usually 3 3 p.m on a, on a saturday yeah and there is obviously there's there's logic behind it there wouldn't be otherwise people wouldn't be using it at that level yeah but um it is something that you have to adjust to yeah but it, it brought success to that club so took, took the older boys out of the school run as well that was a problem from yeah pretty much i'm yeah. sure that's where they were why their arguments were coming from home from yeah. uh wives and stuff so yeah, it was something that took a while to adapt to. What was your What was your background in football, and when did you start playing, and when did you think this is what I want to do for a, for a job? I started. I was five, maybe six years old when I started. Just my local Sunday league team. My dad took me down to Rothwell Town. That was, um, and to be honest, I straight away loved it. Is this near Leeds? Yeah. This is Rothwell's in Leeds. Leeds yeah. yeah. Um, so I loved it straight away. My mum always reminds me of times when the pitch would be frozen and we couldn't train on a Saturday morning yeah. and I used to be crying and used to have to get mum and dad to take <laughs> me up to show them that the pitch were frozen and stuff like that so that wow. to show them that training were actually off so I think I, as soon as I started really I loved it Did you kick a ball in the back garden relentlessly when you were yeah. a kid? Yeah. yeah, my dad had to get me a goal and stuff in the back garden so that went over the fence every now and again <laughs> so um, yeah, I was constantly playing in the back garden on the street and stuff there's an obsessive element you need, isn't there, to make it, I think, in any sport, the hours you need to put in to, to, to get that foundation. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the book bounce, isn't it, with Matthew Saeed, oh, yeah. which is about a 10,000-hour rule and yeah. stuff. But a lot of it, for me, and I think for, well, for most people, is when you're that young, you're subconsciously doing it because you're loving it, you're enjoying it. Yeah. So you're just out kicking the ball in the back garden in the street, and before you know it, you probably have accumulated 10,000 hours of practice, yeah. which, when you get older, it starts to become more more scientific and more tracking and more deliberate yeah but got that I've, motor memory that skill yeah kicking exactly ball, exactly ball, yeah, yeah i think that's where it comes from really so i'll lock out really <laughs> i should have hopefully but well, i should have done a bit more by the looks of it but, yeah. <laughs> were you were you always tall were you always going to be defended do you think um, six feet four inches now are you yeah i was when i was younger i played i was um, well i started when it was seven aside i play, played left midfield okay because obviously there weren't too many left footers yeah and i could run around quite a lot as well so yeah um, I enjoyed that to be honest I loved that um, and as it, as the pitch got bigger and we moved into 11 v 11 I played centre midfield mainly yeah. um, again I used to run around everywhere so. good, good grounding for everything though isn't it centre midfield yeah, you, exactly. you, you have a to do a bit of everything yeah. yeah. so I loved I loved every part of the game really the tackling the heading the, yeah. uh, the passing as well the scoring goals to be fair I scored quite a few goals when I was younger from that position oh nice so um, and then I moved to centre forward actually I think I probably I was always tall but I think maybe around that age 10 I started to pull away Stretch a little bit out, from, yeah. Yeah, from from the other lads but I was always like Bambi on ice really <laughs> so I played centre forward for a couple of years at Bradford I was centre forward Yeah. Um, and then eventually at Huddersfield I moved back to centre half at around 13, 14 Was that decision that one particular coach made with you or did you sort of sense that you wanted to do that what was the um, well, what Sheffield Wednesday did move me back to. I went to. I was at Bradford. Got uh, I left Bradford because I was playing schoolboy football at the same time. Played yeah. City boys, and Bradford tried to stop me playing that. They said you can't play Saturday and Sunday. Okay. But my parents actually, that's quite 
thinking back really it was quite a big decision from my parents because they let me have the complete onus on the decision I were only 10 because they wanted you to just do it for fun yeah, primarily yeah exactly but obviously looking back I were signed for Bradford it was centre of excellence at the time but I was getting like good quality training yeah and for me to just say oh no I want to I want to play with my mates and go back to Sunday league for them to stand by that decision and say yeah completely although the traffic <laughs> the traffic probably played a major part <laughs> getting me over there a couple of nights a week yeah so but that was good from them to just step back and let me have that onus so and then I went to back to Sunday league before signing for Sheffield Wednesday they ended up moving me from centre forward to centre half okay uh, before then, what, what age was what age was that I was 12 12 maybe 13 there yeah so they moved me back to centre half probably did, once scoring enough goals or something you know? <laughs> did it help having been a striker to then be a defender to sort of yeah, get an understanding think, of the position I think yeah. definitely 100% I think having played although it's only like uh, local football and schoolboy football having played them positions mainly every position yeah. really I think that's out with my game understanding definitely so what they're trying to do when they yeah. make a move yeah yeah 100% so they moved me back to centre half and then I've stayed there ever since really yeah that's interesting and at what point because you've obviously been at you know big clubs that people around the world will know Sheffield Wednesday maybe more so for, for the 90s and what, and what they achieved then but they're big names aren't they it's a serious environment in a way was it still fun for you at that age? Because you had that joy when you're five or six kicking a ball against the wall. Was there a point when it became like, oh, wow, this is, this is serious. It's, a, it's a, more of a job now. Or was it still fun at, at the teen years? Uh, no, I think there definitely was a stage where, I wouldn't say it were a job, obviously, because I wasn't getting paid, but where the fun element of it definitely disappeared. Yeah. And I think that was probably at, when I signed for Sheffield Wednesday, really. Yeah. Um, I used to not look forward to go to training, really. Because uh, I guess it was the pressure of it. As 13, 14, it's crazy to think that a lad felt, a young lad felt pressure going to training. Yeah. But uh, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because it becomes almost feeling like school, like an exam, which you don't want it to be because to play well, you almost have to retain that sense of fun as well. Exactly, yeah, 100%. I know that now. I've learned that now. Yeah. So I think that's that's a major part of it. But I think from at that age, I knew really then that I wanted to, I wanted to do it as a profession. I dreamed of being a professional. Yeah. So I think then putting the pressure on yourself, it can all spiral, and all of a sudden you, yeah, you think, oh no, <laughs> no, this is going one way, really. Did go? Are your parents being quite relaxed? It sounds like was that better for you? Do you think because you were driven yourself, you didn't need someone on your back and being a competitive dad or a competitive mum. Um, yeah, they weren't totally relaxed. They sort of my dad didn't. My dad wanted we want a pushy parent or mum either, but they were very supportive. They yeah. took me like to Bradford from Leeds was an hour max. It's a, it's a good maybe. good mix of the two, really. Yeah, I think they I think they did it quite well. Really, looking back, I'm really grateful for that. And now, I think the support is massive. They come from, they still come down to Cheltenham three hours, near enough every week. Yeah, come to most of the away games and follow me at twenty three. So wow. I'm obviously it's a massive part of their life my career have you got brothers and sisters as well I've got a twin sister Danielle yeah as oh, well so. does she play sport she played football when she was younger okay um, I think I think she enjoyed it and she says she enjoyed it but I think that was mainly because yeah. I played but she she wasn't a bad defender either actually we wonder right, little, I've got a little girl I wonder I'm trying to get her to play football and she got in the garden for a bit but then she, she's I guess girls are sometimes more all-rounders. She wants to do artwork and kind of different things, read books. So she's not like quite as obsessive. Like I was a bit like you, wanted to kick a ball in the back garden. But yeah. be interesting to see whether like girls like your sister now, because of the Women's World Cup and everything, would be more more inclined to pursue it. Yeah, that's true. I think there's a, a stronger pathway for them now as well. For to at that when my sister were playing, sort of, you get to around. I think you got to might have been fourteen or fifteen age group level, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's open age girls. 
Oh, so okay. you're going to play with women. Yeah. Whereas football, you still had you still had a Must have under eighteen. Yeah. It? Yeah. Exactly. So I think now there's, I'd imagine there's stronger links and there's more steps for him to then play at the open age level. So yeah, more opportunities for him definitely. And do you do you think that's because that's interesting? Because I remember not wanting to go to trials and stuff at a certain age. Because you're only a teenager, you got quite a lot of stuff going on at school and with your friends and everything. Did you? Was there something you? way you approached it that was the key what was the key between the people you know who made it and who didn't make it because you probably knew some really talented guys that perhaps didn't become professional players yeah yeah definitely do yeah um i think speaking for myself really i think a big part of it was i got released by sheffield wednesday they ended up releasing me at 13 or 14 and that will probably looking back now when i reflect on it that were a key yeah. that were a key moment in my well fledgling career so far <laughs> but that were a key moment definitely for me to the the actual hunger and like the desire that showed for me to prove the person who released me wrong yeah was like sure i remember going out running twice like once in the morning and once on a night really um and got my dad took me boxing to a, a few boxing clubs and doing circuit training and stuff so. you'd have been a good maybe like cruiserweight light heavyweight wouldn't you with your height and build, yeah, yeah, skinny I did, skinny kind of build yeah yeah i enjoyed it to be honest i did i did quite a lot of it i went my dad took me up to berman tofts i did i went up there with ollie mcburney he's just signed yeah. for he's from the same area so he, he was at swansea now he's back at sheffield united he, so, yeah. yeah so that's yeah. homecoming for him then didn't realize yeah uh yeah he's from leeds so he lived he went to the same school as me from the same area we both went up and he's got a younger brother zander who's playing in sweden now at the minute um, so we all went up. He carried it on a bit more than me, actually. So I think he's quite did, into that, it. Did well. that help you psychologically and sort of just confidence in yourself? Uh, yeah, looking back now, I think definitely. At the time, probably I didn't realise it. But yeah, going out of because my dad, I remember putting it off all the time. My dad wanted me to go. Yeah. And me not go because Bermatoff's is, it's, I wouldn't say rough, but it's not the nicest of areas. And sure. you're going into a boxing club where it's, Spit, could be, yeah, I guess yeah. exactly that, yeah. So it could be an intimidating environment. So my dad, I think my dad knew that that had helped me really in the long run. Yeah, you're bat- battling a striker is easier than boxing someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, definitely. Yeah, that's in- that's interesting. And um, when you look when you look back at it, so that's because that rejection by Sheffield Wednesday. Did they tell you anything? Did they? Was there anything big, critical, or they just like, oh, to be honest, we we're not going to keep you on. They just left it open ended. What was what was their feedback? Yeah, it was really. They moved moved me to centre half, and they said that I wasn't going to be good enough in the air to play for the first team. Really? So at fourteen. At fourteen, yeah. So I remember one one session quite vividly. Really, they had there were me and another lad. Um, the goalkeeper had the ball in his hands, and he was just kicking it out of his hands as high as he could, and we were having to edit continuously for. Probably not great for your health. Is it it for, no, yeah. probably not looking back, but he's been good for my career. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Ninety minutes, and I remember busting my nose open, which ended up being quite a um, common occurrence in the last couple of years of my yeah. career, anyway. But um, and I remember busting my nose open, going into the physio, and going back out and carrying on heading and uh, heading the balls. So I think looking back, that was something that something that drove me 100 yeah. percent. i guess we hope in the modern era as well i think alan shearer did that documentary didn't he on the, the different and the piece on the differences between the old balls and the new balls and the problem was for the guys of yeah. generations past the balls used to get waterlogged and become almost twice as heavy when they were when they're heading them but hopefully the modern balls are, are relatively safe for you guys yeah they're very light now to be honest you can't yeah. 
I think unless it comes off your head, the, sometimes it comes off the back of your head and it hurts yeah. for ten seconds. But um, there's no, it doesn't hurt. You're, oh, never, really. you're never groggy or anything. In nah, it, not, nah. I think I've heard a few a few lads saying it really that it's happened. But um, I think we've done I've done a lot of practice anyway personally on it. So I think yeah. I'll probably become accustomed to that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> got a harder harder head. I don't want to think about that for the time. Yeah, being. anyway, I leave that for the future. No, but. no, no. Exactly. It's one of those things, isn't it? But that's the thing with sport, I guess. And it's interesting because sport always takes a toll on its body, doesn't it? I suppose that's the thing. It's not always the the healthiest of things to do. It's random. I remember seeing Lawrence Delalio, the rugby player, just like dragging his leg behind him in in London outside a tube station. Yeah, it obviously takes its toll, but because it's a physical sport, you're putting your body through the through the mire, I guess. Yeah. Every day, and then on a Saturday as well, you're competing. But I think for the rugby boys, that's that's much more the case than us, to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, the physicality of of that. I was speaking to our um, head of head of sports science sort of thing, Josh, the mm. other day, and he was saying that the shoulder injuries in rugby, I think, what can't they've all got the pinned shoulders, haven't they, or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, he said the percentage of. I think it might have been seventy percent that once you pop your shoulder out, it reoccurs again. Yeah. So it's. They're just constantly pinning yeah. them and repinning them. Yeah, and he said the other 30% generally retire. So Smart. I think the and boxers obviously go through the yeah. mire a lot more than footballers. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have the regular the brain scans and boxing. It's interesting because a fighter can feel fine and then suddenly get a scan saying, you know, you're not, yeah. you have to retire, which is yeah. which is really, really tough. What was it like to get the first professional contract? When did that come? Because it could only be a few years ago for you. It's not that long ago. Yeah. I think that'll probably. I was. 18 so that'd be six years ago yeah well yeah five six years ago that were yeah it were it were good to be honest but it were i don't know it didn't really feel like a professional contract really really because this was at huddersfield this was at huddersfield yeah, yeah so i moved into the under 23 squad but i always knew even at that age i always knew that i think the coach, a coach said to me as well that your second professional contract is the most important one okay he always said that um, your first one potentially you might get one for effort but he goes once you've shown once you've got your first one then you have to show that you once you're in the door that you've got yeah. to stay there so I trained them with the under 23 squad but I knew I want a first team player really there was still, I was, there was still a different squad to there was still so how does he win the championship squad. at this point yeah they yeah. were yeah there was still under 23 squad and then a first team so it was like a step up really from another youth team yeah. sort of thing so the first perfect first professional contract I guess was well, I guess it were at Cheltenham really because of coming into a first team environment all I played first team football on loan yeah um, where did you go on loan before before Cheltenham I did a couple of short loans in the conference at Kidderminster and Macclesfield yeah they were I think in total I'd have been at them clubs for a month a month and a half maybe what was the football like there the quality the, the style of play and the, the physicality of it yeah as well? it was completely eye-opening to me for yeah. like coming from academy football into first team football it was obviously <laughs> as a centre half as well yeah yeah a blood and thunder so but looking back I learned more in that, in that month and a half than I did probably the first two years I were a pro at Huddersfield really so yeah although you train with the first team not every day but every now and again but the, actually on a Saturday at three o'clock when it comes down to it, going online to the conference, I learned so much more, yeah. And you're playing in the League Two now. Is there a big difference still between conference and League Two? You do see clubs go down and come back up. Yeah. Is it is it similar style of play? What do you make of it? Because I actually enjoy coming down to watch Cheltenham Town because it's almost more like football I grew up watching as a kid than perhaps sometimes you see in the Premier League now. Yeah, well, all the team, near enough all the teams, I think maybe there might be a handful that are not full-time now in the conference. Yeah. So I don't think there's masses of difference, to be honest, in the levels. 
I think there's probably a little bit more added quality. Yeah. But I still think between the levels, the biggest, in my opinion anyway, the biggest difference will probably be organisation, really. Yeah. So yeah. And a sort of dedication and drive of the players individually. Yeah, the in- individually. I think the ones then who show, who show that desire and then obviously you've got to have the ability. Yeah. I think they're the ones that give themselves the best chance then to, to step up the levels. How did you deal with it as it coming through in your, the academy in Huddersfield and you're not getting the opportunities in the first team and have to go on loan? Do you have to deal with the sort of fact that although you're working hard, it's, it's subjective, isn't it? That's a big thing in a lot of people's careers is you might get a coach who thinks you're great and then the manager might change and he might not like the style of play. He want, wants to do something different. Did you have to, I guess, detach yourself? Well, you have to value those opinions of the coaches, but almost just detach it and evaluate yourself on how you're developing. I think that what you just said, said there is massive. You need to... You needed to at that age. It's tough. I didn't really understand that at that age, but now I sort of, yeah. sort of do understand because when you're driving home from training, and you sat sat in your flat on your own for three four hours, and then you with your own thoughts. So, yeah. you you can be your own worst enemy or your own your own sort of best friend. I yeah. guess you have so, to screen feedback, don't you? I think, and yeah. you know, looking back at sport or whatever or work, and you have to think. Is that useful or is that just someone who doesn't like me who's got a chip on their shoulder and, and that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah, the gaffer says it to be fair. He says, take the emotion out of things, out yeah. of comments. Even He says it really when we're talking about talking to each other on the pitch. But I think that can be said as well for just general communication and feedback you get from yeah. coaches and stuff like that in everyday life, really. Because it is tough to tell someone straight down the line, Yeah, I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think you're going to do this, do that. And you don't want to it's, really... It's, just, it's a punt as well on their part, yeah, isn't it? Because exactly. they don't know for sure. Exactly. So you've got to be... You've got to have your, hold your own opinion, I think. Yeah. Higher than everyone else. But obviously you've got just to... Take little bits here and there. Take, exactly, right, yeah. yeah. But you've got to... You've got... The people obviously are not more knowledgeable and more experienced than you. You need to understand that. Yeah. So... But I think taking bits from everyone definitely can help. So it was a loan period to Cheltenham Town, was it? And that was... No. No, no I sat around loan. The first half of the season, I went to Scotland to Kilmarnock. So that were another learning period. The first time is that I plastic up. pitch up at Kilmarnock? It is, yeah, yeah. 3G pitch. So I struggled with that. I got a little bit of bone bruising on my heel. And that, I didn't lose that then. I came down here. I signed in for the first half of the season. Yeah. Came to Cheltenham in the January and I was still feeling the, still feeling the heel. So I think the plastic pitch made a massive part of that. Were you, were you playing at Kilmarnock? Were they in the Premiership? Were you playing against Rangers and Celtic and people like that? Yeah, I played against Rangers and Celtic, both of them. Unfortunately, not at their ground. I played at home, both yeah. of them. My dad's a Celtic fan. So Is he? Yeah, I were on the bench at Celtic Park, which were a bit gutting. <laughs> what was that like? That must be a pretty awesome atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere incredible. Like it's, I'd been up there to watch a couple of games as yeah. a fan. Um, so your, dad, your dad's Scotsman? Yeah, my dad's a Scotsman. He's from Greenock, yeah, so just oh, outside okay, Glasgow. Yeah. So they came up and came to Celtic Park to watch me warm up. So yeah, um, obviously. But what, what did that environment do to you? Because sometimes it can, I guess, excite you. Get that adrenaline. It's it's sort of like can't wait to get on. Or when you're on the bench, did you feel like wow, this is too? You kind of get over aroused and get sort of you know the fight or flight. What? How did you? How did you enjoy that environment? Uh, yeah, I did enjoy it. To be honest, it, that was by far the biggest stadium I'd ever been to as part of a game. Yeah. So it were, and I, I were a Celtic fan. So I think that part of it was sort of, I was thinking, if I can get on here, I can say, yeah. no matter what happens, I've played yeah. against Celtic. Yeah. And obviously I knew what that had mean to my dad. Yeah. So. Um, Still to come and watch you in a game must have been awesome for him, just to think. Yeah, well, he came and watched me. I played against him at home. We played him at home. So he came and watched that as well. We drew 
I think one one we drew. Who was playing up front for Celtic? Oh, we might have got beat. Was Dembele playing for them? Dembele played up front, yeah. So that were a cold Friday night in yeah. He's a club. He's been linked with Man United this week, isn't he? I think Moussa Dembele. He's gone back to France, and they're talking about. So I mean, that's a quality player to have on your CV. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. But I think when you talk about mentality. I think I could sense immediately that night it were cold Friday really? night in Kilmarnock that he didn't fancy <laughs> it. He didn't, to be honest, he didn't really get a kick. So yeah. I think that played a big part in it as well, me being down his throat. So. It's, a funny thing, it's a funny thing, football though, isn't it? Because sometimes you have someone from a perceived high level and actually you can you can handle them, can't you? It's a, diff- it's a difficult thing. It's why we love football, that you can always get underdog wins like Crawley beating Man United a few years ago and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I think like, for example, in pre-season, we played Leicester in a pre-season friendly, yeah. although it is a friendly people the players are still playing like Vardy came on second half and his movement were nothing I've ever come up against really, really. so I think that well, he's come through non-league as well exactly yeah but I think having them opportunities is massive because then you can see you can sort of experience first hand as well what it's like yeah so obviously the gaffer's played at that level so he can what's his pace like Vardy's um it Does, seemed, seemed, yeah. seemed very is it, fast, is yeah. it shocking though like you know just think this guy's taken five yards in a millisecond or whatever yeah yeah and you could but he's I think it's his speed of thought really as well yeah he's so like catches you off guard because he's always ready to go yeah sometimes he can look disinterested and then that can sort of give you lull you into a false sense of security yeah and then all of a sudden he's up five yards away from you in behind on goal so so you just learn to play different opponents in a different way, do you? Is that part of learning it as a defender, I suppose? Yeah, I think definitely. Give, give yeah. them more space if they're quicker like that, drop off. And... Yeah, I think, I think that's the thing. You've got, to, you've got to learn your own game first, really, your own strengths and weaknesses and stuff, and then sort of put that onto, onto the opposition. As a, tall, as a tall guy, do you prefer playing taller strikers then, or do you quite like the challenge of a, a more nimble, smaller guy? Um. Yeah, I'd probably say I'd like, yeah. I wouldn't mind um, <laughs> the aerial challenge rather than someone yeah. someone sort of who likes to drop in and turn, and which you get at the higher levels, obviously. Yeah. But I think that suits me me a little bit more, yeah. Well, we watch you, obviously, Huddersfield around that club in the championship. Do you feel there's a big divide now between, say, even Premier League championship and then League One and Two in the style of play? It almost seems that referees permit a different style of play because perhaps they allow more, more physical challenges and you, you see in the Premier League and there's almost this weird thing that I always find where they say oh he touched him and it's as if that's, <laughs> that contact is by itself definition you should be given a foul whereas actually it used to be like you had to actually do enough contact to knock someone over I think 100% I think the scrutiny what Premier League games come under yeah. you can't get away with anything for example as a defender you couldn't get away with blocking a striker's run or maybe nudging them in the box yeah VAR coming in as exactly well, that's yeah. just going to make everything I think it won't be far off in the in the box anyway a non-contact spot really it's a shame that in a way isn't it because I think defending and tackling and physical challenges is, is part of that as a kid that you, you look up to and you appreciate don't you and get excited by yeah well I think that's one of the biggest things I've I've learned as a so far anyways like the the dark arts can get you very far you play against strikers who can't really run yeah, but they're always in the right position. Yeah, and they're always they use the body in a certain way that means that you can't get the ball. Yeah, so I think they get efficient because you, your brain comes into its own as you get it's that optimum curve between your body sort of hanging on and then yeah. your brain knowing where to be. Because you, you, people always say to me that older players say when you're younger you run around a lot, but sometimes it's not great effect. Yeah, yeah, I think that can definitely be the case. You could you know the difference as to when you're playing against an experienced striker and someone who's not. 
Although some some players pick that up naturally, some players have yeah. that. But I think the sort of craft and the dark arts are something that is definitely going to be lost. Just want a nudge here and there to create space, yeah. nudge you off the ball, and then yeah, definitely. Suddenly yeah. they suddenly they look like you're not marking them. Yeah, and to do that now to get away with that now at the top level, I think it's going to be near on impossible. Yeah. Whereas still at the lower leagues in our league, anyway, you can definitely get away with that. So. It's really interesting. I spoke to um, a guy, and people can look back on the podcast and see it. Adjabola Elise, who's England under 17 player, plays at West Ham United in the academy. He's a centre half. Okay. Quite a tall guy, but um, very light. And he was saying that actually, the West Ham's academy to come through and for all those guys, his contemporaries, he says, emphasis is completely on getting the ball, receiving it, how comfortable we are, how you play out, and almost defending, he said was a secondary thing. That's weird, isn't it? Because you must have found that as well coming from a high level with Huddersfield down that actually it almost reverses, doesn't it? Because no one at League Two level is going to be bothered whether you can do a Cruyff turn on the, the edge of the box. It's more about can you can you win those headers you were talking about? Yeah, well, to be honest, I were, I were quite lucky, really. I look back again and I had a coach, Frankie Bunn, yeah. who he was a striker himself. And I think he, by the looks of him and when he joined in training, for example... I think he were definitely a master of the dark arts. <laughs> so he could he transferred that knowledge as a striker as to what into a defender. So he gave me a mass like a very good upbringing. Yeah. In foot in as like as a defender really, with um, his emphasis were massively on you're a defender first. Yeah. You play a secondary. Yeah. So I think for me to now play at this level, I think that were a big part of why I'm capable of. Taking well, it's, it's weird when you hear people like Pep Guardiola say and uh, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp sometimes that if a defender just gives the ball away on the edge of the box and the team scores it's like oh that will happen it's a strange psychology isn't it because you'd never have that in the lower division that someone would say oh that's alright don't worry about it crack crack on no I think that's that, that's their philosophies isn't it I think yeah. so obviously if they're they can't then if they're saying to the players listen we need to play out from the back for a certain reason we need to play out from the back because it's going to help us win the game we're going to get more goal scoring opportunities yeah. it suits our players more they then need to give the give the freedom to the defenders yeah. to sort of get the ball because eventually percentages really you're going to lose one or two you're going to give one or two away and it's going to be costly potentially when you're that close to your own goal exactly yeah. so but if you're if that's your philosophy and you're sticking by that then you need to give the defenders the emphasis and the confidence to to carry on doing it and in the Premier League, you do see the sort of full court press or whatever they call it. And I yeah. think Guardiola changed his tactics slightly against Liverpool because of that and went a little bit longer. So it's interesting how he adapts. But when you watch a League Two match, you think it's all very well. But if you came from a, a, a Premier League academy and tried to play out from the back, the problem is the, the opponents don't respect it enough, do they? So they'll always be all over you is, is the thing. Whereas you go up the levels, it seems like players actually get more ta- time because players respect them more. So it's kind of, uh, I guess it's a catch-22 because when you've got that time, you look a better player anyway. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And the gaffer said that as well when we were playing Leicester, for example. You, you'll you get more time. Although they did end up coming on a, almost, well, a full-court press. Did they? Yeah, they did, really. So whenever they lost the ball, they were after Brendan straight Rogers away. Style, it is, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, You've got to beat that, though, haven't you? And then you exactly. Yeah. I think that, that is the key. So there's definitely a difference in styles between the Premier League <laughs> and League 2. I think there's no doubt about it. But as a footballer, you've got to be able to adapt and yeah. and take to each one. What about Luke Varney? What's he been like to, to play with? Because I remember him when I was a you know a young reporter at BBC London playing for Charlton. But he's an experienced striker and he's still scoring goals, isn't he? Yeah, well, obviously I'm a Leeds fan, so I remember <laughs> him as well playing for Leeds and quite a lot of my mates did. As soon as, as soon as he signed, they were all messaging me saying, oh, you've signed. Yeah. He signed Luke Varney. So to be honest, he's been a revelation, really. But he's a wily old dog as well, isn't he, from what I've seen? Yeah, yeah, he is. 
but on and off the pitch he's been brilliant for the club really yeah him and a few of the other older pros have set like set a great example really as to what what to aspire to he's 36 now going on 37 he just loves playing as well isn't he by the sounds of it exactly 100% I don't think there's without me saying I don't think he don't think he needs to be here playing for Mm. the money yeah I think he's it's that the love of the game like one hundred percent every day. You got to keep hold of that because you because I remember going to as a reporter to, to games. It could be a training ground at Tottenham, or it could be a press conference at Crystal Palace, or Leighton Orient, Brentford. And you still think for for that little boy inside me, like wow, these guys get to play football every day for a job. And it's, exactly. it's still keeping that in your heart as well as yeah. the serious stuff of trying to win contracts. It's just thinking this is a wonderful lifestyle. Exactly, and everything that comes with it. You go in and you're with twenty other lads, your mates, who you're with every single day. So the the banter and everything that comes with that. Yeah. I don't think, well, I can't. Not social most job places, no. It's... No, I can't imagine it's replicated in many other works, uh, walks of life, sorry. So it is easy sometimes to, to forget how lucky you are really to have that. And how, how do you handle the dynamic as a player? Because you've got a team effort, you've got to unite together and you've got to have the camaraderie and team spirit. But within that, it will be more than, you know, a couple of three centre, I know you've been playing three at the back, haven't you, in centre-halves, yeah. but you've got, Say four or five centre halves at a club. How do you handle the competitive element of it? Do you still stay, you know, civil, and because it's an individual sport and a team sport at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's I think that's healthy to be honest. I think you need that to yeah. um, to develop as players. But you're trying to learn from those guys as well. Sometimes. Yeah, one hundred percent. People have people are at clubs for different reasons. People have different attributes. Yeah. So if you can you can develop your game after watching what another person does. That cannot, that's only going to help you because at the end of the day it's your career Yeah. but the I think you've got to have a team mentality really because like the gaffer says it a lot to be honest which I've always thought is true that if the team wins you win so yeah. you're better off better off not being on the bench for a team that's at the top of the league than being on the bench for a team that's at the bottom of the league for your career yeah. Enhancement. That's always going to. And also, it's well. a quick career as well. So you want the memories, don't you? Exactly. Involved, so yeah. exactly, you need like that's something def- I definitely aspire to do. Is obviously earn promotions and stuff like that. So I think you can't do that on your own. So yeah. you need to you need to understand that you need to be a part of a team. And to be honest, that's a powerful feeling. Really feeling a part a part of something bigger than just yourself. Yeah. So I think that's it's we're playing in a team environment. So you need to understand that. Yeah, you're bigger than the sum of your parts exactly, is the, is yeah, a, is a statement. Yeah. When you, um, one of the things I w- wanted to speak to you, was really interesting because we were chatting on the pitch side at the training ground at Cheltenham the other the other week, watching the the legends against the fans, and you were talking about how you'd started doing a business management course already at the age of twenty three. I don't know when you even started that, but you've obviously got your head screwed on that you you contemplate the reality of it not being a forever career and, and having a, a a lifetime beyond it. Yeah, I started that. Um... When I, the October I went to Kilmarnock, it was, so I was 20. Wow. So I've done three years of it now. Was that your parents telling you that, or were you just um, a savvy it was, guy? To be honest, it was my girlfriend, Sean, Sean's mum, Joe. She gave me a bit of a nudge, really. Yeah. Um, Sean's obviously done a, done a law degree. She's... Um, yeah, it's impressive. She's, like, very switched on and very career-focused as well. And her mum sort of recognised the I had a bit of a business well not acumen I guess but I'm interested in that side of it yeah that side of life really how business works and stuff that's always something that I've that's intrigued me really so I just she said told me about the open university so I had a little look and then she just gave me a nudge to <laughs> nudge to get going really so how, how have you found that combining that with playing to be honest I've loved it really yeah it gives me something else to focus on and 
it's I'm not someone really who can just sit around and do much. I need yeah. to keep my mind engaged as much as anything. So it gives me something to focus on. Like now I've got I start again my next module in October. Yeah. But I find I don't really know what to do with myself <laughs> at times to be honest. So Well people people always say, don't they, about sports people and they say oh you should be focused on that big game but actually once you've done your training and your strategy and tactics there's no point sitting around thinking about it because it can drain you can't it 100% I think for me definitely I've figured that out that um, I've definitely when I was younger overthought football a lot Um, and I think it's getting the right balance as to where you need to focus when you're at the training ground and you need to do your homework on the other team and the opposition but I think you also need to relax and yeah. trust your sub-focus. I mean, your subconscious, sorry. Yeah. That that you know that the hours that you've been drilled on the training pitch and stuff, that that'll come, come yeah. naturally. Because you wear and stress yourself out as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, 100%, yeah. That's interesting. And um, when you look at Cheltenham Town, you're down here as, a, I guess, a guy from, from, from Yorkshire. When you assess the potential of a club, we've spoken to, to ex-Cheltenham players who played up in League One level. Do you feel that, you can galvanise a community down here and it's possible because you've obviously played at Bradford, Sheffield, Wednesday, Huddersfield, teams that aren't regulars in the Premier League by any stretch at the moment but have been in the Premier League in, in recent memories. Can it can it be a situation where they can build something at Cheltenham to, to develop that attention locally and then and move up the divisions? I think 100%, yeah. I think, like we were talking about Huddersfield earlier, the way David Wagner came in and galvanised the whole club, they were a club that was struggling yeah, surviving in the championship every year for three or four years and then after being promoted from League One so they were more of a lower end championship league top end League One club than competing yeah. for the championship Premier League club and I think that the amount the the togetherness that he instilled within the squad was a massive part of it yeah. and I think the gaffers that's what he's striving to do and I think he's well without without blowing his trumpet too much <laughs> I think that's I think he's going around in my opinion yeah. I'm buying into everything he's doing and it's like can only can only go up from here is it just is he, so. is, does he seem like a fair guy to the players does he seem like he's this is the way and I'm going to approach you all the same way and these are the standards and everyone has to live up to them yeah I think he's just straight down the line really you know where you stand there's no airs and graces so yeah. I think for me that works and I think if that doesn't work for you in, in football or in any walk of life then I think really you've got to Without being too harsh, I think you need to have a little reality yeah. check. Really, I think you have to work hard in every work of life to, to, to exactly, keep going, yeah. yeah. And I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone wants to smoke blowing up the backside no. as it yeah. as the saying goes. When but the worst thing is when you think a manager's got or a boss has got favourites, isn't it? That can be cor- corrosive to the team spirit. Yeah, I think it's one hundred percent level playing field. Really, I think you earn your place. Yeah, and if you're not cutting it, then you'll be out. And I think knowing that obviously keeps you on your toes. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I suppose yeah, he's learned from Sean Dyche. It's interesting that he always talks about Burnley when it comes to fans and the fact he said it was like, a, I think it was like 80 to 100,000 people live there, but they get 25,000 people through the gates. Yeah. You know, from the, the north of England, it's the, the passion. They've got so many teams, I mean, even around Manchester, around Yorkshire and everything. Like There's so many clubs that are supported by relatively small population. I suppose it's just getting the community here to maybe see themselves as a football town rather than a racing town or a rugby town, isn't it? Yeah, I think we can. We as players and the club can, for the future, we can definitely do more about that. We've I've been, well, helping as much as I can in the community really. Yeah. To try get the lads out there as much as we can. Like soccer camps, we're doing soccer camps now. For example, it's the school holidays. Yeah. So getting just getting two players to go. I think like I look back and I think of going in after the game to the Leeds players lounge, and meeting the likes of Alan Smith. 
Wow. Harry Kewell and stuff like that, and that sticks with me forever. That was a team that was in the Champions League, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. They they were big stars, obviously, and that moments like that stick with me forever. So I think if we can do, obviously, we're not stars, Champions League stars, but, 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 but players, kids don't yeah. understand that at no. six, seven. And actually, they're more likely so, to be able to go to Cheltenham 10, 15 times a season than, than if their dad wants to take them to Aston Villa or down to Bristol City. It's a long day out, whereas actually for young kids, you can walk in 10 minutes before the kickoff at Wooden Road and get your seat. Exactly, yeah. And I think, like you say, like family, young families coming to games, coming to Chel- the Cheltenham games rather than going over to Aston Villa, yeah. I think is only going to be good for the future for them to sort of see... Yeah. See professional football at that level yeah when you start to create a buzz and you start to get a good image yeah. around the club you then get not only Cheltenham Town but people around the area because there's a sort of wide population of rural communities under the Cotswolds down to towards Bristol Way up towards Sirencester Swindon Way there's a big area where you could actually start gravitating bringing people to you yeah 100% like we were talking earlier about the there ain't too many football clubs around this area yeah. really around like a similar level so I think the catchment area is massive but I think it's, it's life, I guess. It's one of them mm. things. There's hot, one of the biggest race courses in the world yeah. in the town. It's bad time, There's it? Gloucester Rugby, which is obviously a big rugby team. Yeah. So I think I think sometimes it's just the way of the world, I guess. So, But we can definitely do, do more and do as much as we can to get into the community and build a bigger relationship with the people. Great stuff. It's a great attitude to have, and um, especially for someone so, so young. What are your ambitions for, for the season ahead? Obviously, reflecting on... The game against Leighton Orient was always going to be tough after the manager passed away suddenly in the in the summer. Justin Edinburgh, one 0 defeat in the end, had a couple of players sent off. It sounded like a a decent performance despite all of that. What was the atmosphere like? Was that a challenge for you at, at this stage? What, what did you make of Brisbane Road? Um, I made my football my full football league debut there actually for York, so that were oh, okay. um, I played there a couple of times after as well, so I knew what to expect. Obviously, the occasion was like emotional I guess yeah because like things are bigger than football yeah and that's definitely something that that were more important than the game although for we paid his respects and I think the before the game it was exactly how, how as well as it could have gone really I think yeah. the what the fans did with the with the flag was the Cheltenham fans took a flag really. over yeah yeah I think that were massive massive show of class and it shows the people that follow the club are good honest people and like it's just respectful really yeah. so that were a massive that were a great gesture um, but then to be honest when you're there to play football where players were there to play football so yeah. all that's in the back of your mind but you pay your respects but it's just like any other game you go out there and you try and they're try a new team game. in the league as well so there's an element of that to it yeah yeah um, obviously they came up last year they won the league last year had a good season um, so we were disappointed looking back really I thought we we won't, we won't by any means um, poor, but I think we could, could have definitely done a lot more. Yeah. Um, definitely with the ball, um, the goal would we'll go disappointed with the goal, and then after that the game were gone really. Two men sent off. Yeah. But I think, as a team, really we definitely know we can produce better than that. And when you have the feedback, it's often in the media we talk about it is results driven but I guess as a team you have to evaluate the performance don't you because sometimes you might get lucky and get deflected strike that you win 1-0 despite playing poorly but other times like you say you've had a decent performance and had two men sent off and lost narrowly then I suppose you have to take some positives out of it as well and, and be sort of level headed with the both individually and as a, as a team yeah I think so and we've got a process where we'll 
every Monday we'll evaluate the game and there'll be plus points and negative points, which is really, it's mainly about us. It's about the style, what we're trying to play and yeah. moving forward, things that we can we can improve on, but also things that went well and that brought us success. So just going over that again to sort of show why we're doing it and why it works. So I think just trusting in the process really is, is a big, big part for us moving forward, focusing on every game individually and seeing where we go after that. Final ambitions for you for the season and beyond and the business management course, but would you like to potentially stay in football after you've played to be a coach or a manager or would you think starting your own business or working for a big company would be the, the idea? Well, hopefully, touch wood, that's still still, still a long way off at the minute. Yeah. But while, while I can, I'm, gonna, I'm doing my UEFA B coaching at the minute as well. So I'll get hopefully options. get... Yeah, I'm just sort of exploring every element, really. I'm... I've always been, even from from eighteen, nineteen, I'm quite interested in yeah. the tactical side of the game. That's something that's always interested me. So the coaching element. Also the business side of football is burgeoning as well. And you've exactly. got if you've got a qualification and that side of it, you could be a you know, kind of I guess a, a double whammy for a for a club. Yeah, yeah. Well something like since I've looked since I've been doing a business degree, that sort of I'd never noticed are always oblivious to that side of football. Yeah. But then when you it prompts things in your head and you start noticing things, and obviously we've got Finners here now yeah. doing the... Give him um, some marketing tips and... Uh, yeah, well, I'll be getting yeah. tips, off, tips off him, I think. <laughs> I think Finners has done done a great job, to be honest. So Season tickets are up, aren't they? Exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, there's obviously at a club like this as well, there's people are very approachable. Yeah. So now... Well, it's almost a good learning ground because exactly. there's less people there, yeah. Exactly, so if you're at, a, for example, a Premier League club, to be able to get access to people who are in control of the business, the, yeah. for example, the chief executive, probably would be nigh on impossible. But now at this level, I've got, I've, I can pick up the phone to Finners and if I have a question, or exam, I haven't done it, but I could in the future, I'm sure, ask him anything. So I think just making the most of my contacts, really, yeah. and just learning learning as much as I can about the game and about life in general, really. Well, well, it's amazing at 23. Great attitude to open to, to learn and everything like that. We want to wish you the best of luck. And, but can people follow you? Do you, you on social media? How do you interact with that? Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, I think it's... Instagram's wboyle95, although I don't use it too much. Yeah. Twitter, the same, really. Do you worry about, do you worry about the sort of negative feedback after a game, or how do you, nah, how do you handle it? I think I've already grown out of that, to yeah. be honest. I think <laughs> people are always going to say, yeah, you should have done this, you should have done It's like road that. rage, isn't it, on social media? That's a problem. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I need to look. I need to get my mum off it, really. My mum's <laughs> the one who's... Who, my mum and dad, really, they... Although they don't worry about it, they, I think they like to look at it a bit more than I do, but yeah. that's just part and parcel of it. It comes with the territory, I guess. Yeah, some people, some fans, it really hurts them when they, they lose and it can, it can impact. I'm saying that, I've, 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 from the fans, I've since I've been down here, all I've had really is yeah. is positive, really. They're not, so. They don't expect the world, Cheltenham fans, so they just want people who uh, who enjoy being here and committed, it seems. Yeah, that's that's what it seems. Honest honest people who are willing to work hard, and I think I'd definitely categorise, put myself in that category, sorry. So yeah, I've all, I've been I've had a lot of support from the Cheltenham fans since I've been here, so I'm grateful for that. Well, we'll appreciate your time, mate. Great to see thank you, and you. look forward to following the story this this season and beyond. Yeah, cheers, Ed. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do give it a rating on iTunes and follow me as well on social media, Ed Draper, eighty one. Appreciate you listening. Thanks, guys.